This is the best, 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 best practices in education and Odyssey School podcast. Let's fly away in a cloud. This podcast aims to offer professional resources, practical tools, and inspiring conversations to teachers and parents in their quest for excellent education. And the trees are rainbow, and you'll see the corn every now and then because that's not weird at all. Welcome to Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. I am Megan Martell, and I am your host this week. And I'm here in the studio with Tyrene Eisner. She is our intermediate school social studies and math teacher. And we're so excited to have this conversation about her influences, her cultural influences, and how she teaches different cultures in her social studies classroom, and also um, a little bit about coming of age and ritual. So Tarani has a background in global studies, sustenance, gardening, and a yogic lifestyle. Supporting and inspiring youth is both a joy and a calling for her. She believes that a child's strength and potential as a human being is encased within their own uniqueness. And Tarani aims to create a classroom environment where this uniqueness can be nurtured through the practice and cultivation of self-awareness, self-discipline, and self-esteem. She also maintains a day-to-day flow that is full of laughter, curiosity, sincerity, genuine heartfelt care, and reminders that we are all in this together. It was her love of traditional and indigenous cultures that inspired her to pursue and complete a master's in international studies. Her thesis for this degree was focused on women-centric sustenance gardening techniques for the Mossi people in Burkina Faso and their relevance to future sustainability initiatives around the globe. Welcome to the studio. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Tyranny, if you could start by telling us a little bit about your influences as a teacher. All right. Um, so, some of my influences as a teacher would be um, particularly who I like to really kind of cozy up and listen to or um, read about would be stories or historical things um, based in Africa. Um, It's just kind of been something that has followed me through college. And so as a result, I feel mostly drawn right now, especially in the traditional realm, which is particularly what my best practice is about, is um, Maladoma Somme. And um, he's also from the same country, from um, Burkina Faso that Sambanfu Somme is from. And Sabanfu um, Some is basically an ancestor right now as of 1997, but she's also very much an elder and someone that we, um, I would say, in the African diaspora really look to for some of our <laughs> answers to life or questions to life, I should say. She said a very powerful quote um, that I'm going to quote verbatim from my best practice. There is a deep longing among people of the West to connect with something bigger, with community, and with spirit. As you can hear, and she was very wise, of course, and this is why she was at the foremost, like like leading the charge, I would say, in African wisdom, African spirituality, um, ritual, and anything that really has to do with connecting with ancestors, pretty much. Can you unpack that quote a little bit for us and tell mm-hmm. us what it what it means to you? 
Well, what it means to me, um, how I've connected to it as personally as someone who is living the story of the West in a way as an African-American is that though we have so much we should be proud of in this culture, right? Um, there is so much that we're also missing. When I hear these words, um, something bigger with community and with spirit, it really resonates with my heart and um, the longing that I've always had when it comes to community and when it comes to spirit. And that's just something that is, I feel personally, not just because I heard it from um, Sambonfu or Maladoma or any of um, the leaders that are in the African spirituality movement. It's just really because um, this is something that I have felt in my own self and I have searched for since I was really young trying to figure out. And I think that if we had more of an idea of community and of spirit from very, very young. Um, I don't think we would come into these times with so much confusion or exhaustion, I would even say, because we would be held, we would be supported, we would be guided. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And I, you know, I just want to say, before we started recording, you and I were talking about your presentation and you said something along the lines of, I don't know if this is really integral mm -hmm. and what you just described is a perfect example of being an integral yeah. teacher because you're making space for your inner world and you're taking time to reflect on you as a person and mm -hmm. how it influences your teaching and balancing that inner experience with the external experience is very integral. Yeah. And it also leads us to another part of your presentation where you talk about the coming of age experience in different cultures and teach that through your social studies curriculum. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, definitely. Some of us may know of the rites of passage. Um, I think a lot of people are becoming more aware of this idea. And basically, um, Indigenous, it's these roots, the rites of passage come through indigenous people. It is the roots of them and their words and what they truly believed in and how they guided their young people pretty much um, from the very beginning. Even we would say from the womb. So even um, before uh, conception, if you might say. Um, and that's really how powerful I feel like the elders are and connected with spirit. But basically the rites of passage is our great milestones like birth, coming of age, and or death. So it can be many things around that, like weddings and different things like that. But I pretty much am focused on these three things right now um, in my um, curriculum. And you talked a little bit about naming and yeah. the place of naming and when naming happens before birth or mm -hmm. after birth, depending on the culture. Yeah. And can you talk more about that and also what meaning you made for your students about the power of knowing the meaning of your name? Definitely. So the lessons on naming ceremonies, I feel that one was a really powerful one for me because it actually hit really close to home, something we, I guess we can also consider to be very integral because I kind of grew up, just like many of us, asking a lot of questions. 
And um, I actually did not live with my um, mom. I was raised by my grandmother. So um, I'm very much a person that has been um, around the elders her whole life. And I, I remember asking my mom first and then asking my grandmother, what does my name mean? And both of them were kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> and I wasn't really young, I was a teenager, but it was a young enough to kind of be disappointed in a way like, oh, how come you don't know what my name means? And it made me start to seek more, and I seek that all the way into college. And basically, it's not for me a mistake that um, I ended up in college meeting a spiritual group and getting my name, uh, Tyranny. And Tyranny basically means to liberate, to liberate yourself and to liberate others. And I went in, no one knew this story or knew this about me, but in receiving my name for the first time was um, the first time I actually felt like I had purpose. And and so it really hit close to home. Like, I can't tell you how much, you know, our life and what we do sometimes is very much a circle. And so... Um, here I am at Odyssey, and I thought, you know, very much in depth with this traditional culture, why not see how this shows up in the classroom? So I basically had all the students write down, like, characteristics about themselves. I didn't say whether it had to be good. I didn't say whether it had to be bad. I just said, write down characteristics about yourself. And um, then I had them go to more people in the class and ask, and but they can't show, right? And so to ask um, other kids in the class, what do they feel that might define them? Then the students would have to take these characteristics and begin to come up with a name, right? And in coming up with a name, they have to then speak to what the contribution of the name would be for our community. Right. Yeah. Or for their community, but particularly for our community in the classroom. I love how you expanded that out. And again, that is so integral Mm -hmm. (laughs) where you take time to reflect on the I and then Mm -hmm. you bring in the we and also consider our role within community. Yeah. Yeah. And what I noticed is um, when I was doing the exercise in the beginning, the students who actually had names that had purpose already, they were really proud. I just want to say that they were really proud and they can speak very um, bold about who they are and what that defines. And they felt, you know, when they started talking about themselves, there was this sense of joy and pride. And then those who didn't either was like heads kind of down or like like kind of coming to the concept that your name could have a meaning and like almost like really feeling a little bit like, wow, like this can be. And I, and I love the idea of that wow. Mm-hmm. I really love that. They were like, wow. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of students um, really appreciated this, this assignment and really actually took it home with them. So it wasn't just an assignment. Did you share the story of your name with them? I did. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about another lesson that you did in your social studies classroom with regards to coming of age? Okay, yes. Um, so basically the coming of age uh, ceremony is basically a transition for any any child really. It's 
in the title, it's when an, a, ch- a child is basically at that cuffs where they're transitioning and to adulthood. They haven't arrived yet. So in the classroom, we've discussed a coming of age ceremony in the Aboriginal culture um, of Australia in which boys have to prove that they're ready for manhood by catching something like catching a fish or some type of sea creature or something that um, lives in the water. Um, we also discussed the ceremony that was given before and after completion. So after the young man was able to actually catch some type of food or some type of resource, typically in this area in Aboriginal culture would be from the water, um, then they would have a ceremony either before or after. The before would be probably a ceremony that would be trying to call on the spirits so that this would actually come through for the young man or to make it more likely by like communicating with the spirits. And then the after would be like the completion, like you would notice the transition in this phase or this period. And in this transition, um, it's not just something that you would notice right then and there, it's something that gradually happens to the young man as they transition, continue to transition into adulthood. But the point of the ceremony is so that improving something, right? Improving that he is ready, right? And that could be just about anything. We can do that here in this present day. Improving that he is ready, he now is held and supported by his community and given all the tools to actually transition and do what he needs to do as an adult. It seems like in some ways, too, it's a call to action. It's Definitely. A, a way to to give voice and say, now is your chance to rise to this new occasion. That's it. That's it. And all of these young men need that, <laughs> right? <laughs> they need someone to say, we see you. We're your community. We're holding you and supporting you. And if you need us, we're here. But you have to do this. And... um I think a lot of times in this community, we oftentimes, when I mean this community, um, I'm really speaking the greater picture, more of the West, I would say, um, or in the US. We oftentimes do this extreme where we either shelter our kids or they're too left to their own, you know. Without guidance. Without guidance, just a little bit too much. And so what this is doing actively in the culture is um, your community and your elders are kind of gradually getting you ready. And this is one of the major ones. I mean, we talked briefly um, earlier about the idea of birth, right? And this is a transitional ceremony for the child or the student. So in our classroom, I asked them to basically write about or even discuss with their parents what would have to take place during these series of events. What would they basically have to prove they were ready to do, right? Um, So that was the result. But also, what would be the role of their parents? What would be the role of the community in helping them to prepare, right? Or how would the community um, also help to prepare the actual ceremony? So it could be along those realms that their their writing could take place. 
And it was really amazing to see some of the ideas, but because I I actually went into it with a very blank slate, I was really open to receive, and it was just amazing. Um, but it was very much rooted in our society, right? It was it couldn't be anything else but what they know. Mm-hmm. And so you did have a lot. You did have some children saying, you know, doing like kind of the everyday mundane things that adults would do, like. Uh, balancing checkbooks or you know like stuff that you would do every single day um going shopping or um doing things that um would prove you're ready for something like uh driving a car for the first time or (laughs) um gosh I'm trying to list I'm trying to think of all of the examples so I can like kind of list them down and the ones that really stood out the most and they were really translating that idea of a sea creature into American yeah, culture. But some of them actually did want to do things like that. Some of the boys particularly, they did want to catch something. They mm-hmm. did want to hunt for something. They did want to do these things, even though they don't actually do it in their culture. Um, but it was just amazing to see both of that exist in the same realm but also to see how they made it their own i really like that and why that was relevant to me is because i felt like these traditions can exist side by side what we do here and it would actually give the children greater purpose so if it has the potential to create more purpose then why not is kind of how i see it yeah and almost like you have to even more than why not like this is really important to expose our students to these ideas in different cultures and Mm -hmm. and using the social studies curriculum to guide them through broadening their idea of world culture and what it means to be a middle schooler in lots of different places Mm -hmm. and also what meaning that can make for them in their inner experience and their purpose in life definitely yeah, that's definitely really beautiful. Thank you. Um, we are almost out of time, but okay. I, I know that there's another piece to the African spirituality story that you wanted to share. Well, it was just actually what was coming out of the coming of age ceremony like I began with in the beginning. And I talked about the aboriginal culture of Australia. And I just I actually wanted to begin here. And because I take my work from also... African culture, but I I take my work from all different cultures. And Aboriginal culture for me in Australia is very much also very much rooted in African spirituality. And I really like it, even though they are like down under in their own little world. <laughs> but I think that it's really amazing because of that. And their worldview is centered very much just like um, the African spirituality where the past, the present, and the future is all one aspect of life. It's all one. And they they know this to be the dream time realm. They call it the dream time. And in this, there are many myths of the dream time, obviously. There are many stories. There are many creative endeavors you can go through or go down when it comes to the dream time realm. But it basically, in a spiritual realm, means that there's these mythical beings that shape the land. They populate the land with this beautiful flora and fauna and with human beings. And they do it when we're in the dreamtime realm. 
So if you're actually listening to it, there's no disconnect between us and them because when if you imagine dream time, you almost should imagine yourself in that realm. What, what are we actually doing? We're leaving our physical body, right? So because of because under, me having that understanding, if you're able to have that understanding, you can connect with the idea of something happening even outside of you on a physical realm or a mental realm. And so in this, there's so much that exists. And the view is that these spiritual powers, these spiritual things create the social rules. These spiritual beings explain all of the mundane knowledge. They explain all of the human intellect and they're actually the most important because they are the creators of it. And so having an understanding, a greater understanding of who is, what is actually really um, leading the way or what actually should we be focused on. And um, I feel like the Aboriginal people do a great job at merging these worlds so that you don't feel like you have to choose, you know? You don't feel like you have to choose, but it all becomes one. And so nothing you do is separate from it. It's so integrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, very integrated and um, very much rooted in old time ancestral ways of being and thinking about traditional people in a way that we haven't actually been able to do before and understanding that they had truths that we as a society should embrace for our own um, mental and physical and spiritual healing. So I know we're just scratching the surface to this, and I would love um, to include some links for our listeners in the liner notes, and we'll include a link to your podcast, which names a few of the people that you've referenced, Um, and of course, if there are other book titles or anything else that you feel like would be really valuable, we'll throw those in there too, because this is such an incredible, rich conversation for the social studies classroom, and so important for our young people to have options and paths to walk with purpose and intentionality. And thank you so much for being in the studio and sharing your great knowledge and um, your spiritual quest and all that you do in the classroom. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is amazing. Thank you, River. Thank you. Join us next time for our next episode of Best Practices in Education. This has been Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. It was recorded here in our music studio in Asheville, North Carolina at Odyssey School, engineered by our music director, River Gargarian, and the original theme music was created by the Misfits of Cragberry, an Odyssey student band. Let's fly away in a cloud. We'll go down to Odyssey.